G'day everyone, welcome to Porsche Talk Podcast. It's Mark here, fresh back from Le Mans. Speaking of Le Mans, we've got a special guest today, but before I introduce him, Ajmal, welcome back. Hello, welcome, welcome home. You've yeah. made it home. No, I you're did. not jet lagged. You're looking youthful as ever. <laughs> I am. I, I am. I keep getting reminded every day, Ajmal, even though I do avoid the mirrors. The trip back, I only got home last night, somewhat fatigued, but it was a uh, well worth it. It was an amazing trip, but we're going to talk about the trip in another episode, probably the next one, because... Today's guest is Cameron Healy. Now, some people may or may not have heard of Cameron before, but I can guarantee you, you have heard about a motor car that he owns. There are probably three of the most important 356s that are on the planet. He happens to own one of them, number 46, the 356 SL, that won its class at Le Mans. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mark. Nice to, nice to be here. Tell us. 356 SL. How do you come across a car like that? Well, it's, uh, I think for most of us that have, you know, have extreme Porsche passion, it goes way, way back and are, you know, often gets seated in our youth. But I've always uh, had a very soft spot for the early Porsches. And those are the cars that was were my first Porsches I owned and raced. Um, and I gradually, became aware of the Gamund history, you know, the very earliest Porsches that were built in Austria and in a lumber mill, of course, designed uh, designed by uh, Ferry Porsche and his team who were there. Uh, and um, uh, I, um, well, a little context in those cars for the listeners that don't, don't have that uh, clear in their minds. Um, these cars were built uh, in the same facility that the Porsche engineering team departed Stuttgart in, I think, 1944 to avoid the Allied bombing when Stuttgart was getting hit pretty hard. And I think uh, the uh, Ferry and Ferdinand took over 200 employees up to this, this facility that was very literally below the radar uh, up in the mountains. And they... Um, when the war ended, uh, they had lots of time on their hands and no real projects to do. And so Ferry, uh, I think, had a, a dream kindling in his heart about building Porsche, actual Porsche cars, and be able to put their own name name on the cars. And, you know, pretty, pretty bold idea to build sports cars in the um, wake of the end of World War II. And, you know, Germany's economy had collapsed and things were pretty, pretty in bad shape. Uh, but anyway, they uh, persevered and uh, went through a lot of hardships, but built, actually built 63 uh, aluminum body cars because aluminum was what was available from the, uh, you know, aeronautics uh, uh, industry left over from the war and built be these beautiful cars. They sold 
about 52 of them. And when it was time to move back and reclaim their facility in Stuttgart in 1950, and they where they began building steel body 356s, they, um, uh, they left, uh, they had 11 bodies and chassis left over that they left in Austria. And then fast forward in 1950, uh, October 1950 at the uh, Paris uh, auto show, um, uh, Ferry received an invitation from Charles Ferrault, who was in charge, kind of the founder of 24 Hours of Le Mans, to bring, why not bring some of these, your new cars, and put them to the test in the world's greatest and most demanding um, endurance race. And so uh, they took that to heart, and his, Ferry's dad, Dr. Porsche, gave his nod after uh, supposedly bringing a slide rule out and doing some calculations and figuring out uh, some things that the cars could uh, potentially make it for 24 hours. Um, and so they, um, they built, uh, they chose four, four bodies and chassis to um, put race, to make them into race cars with all the race gear. Um, uh, two of those units went to Reuter and two went to Dannenhauer or, you know, um, bodybuilders uh, of the time. Uh, to assemble and um, uh, fast forward through testing, uh, two cars were destroyed and they showed up at Lama with two cars, um, number 46 and 47. Number 47 was crashed in um, night practice, so that left just one gun, you know, one bullet in their gun to uh, to start Lama with, and they'd had a lot of bad luck. Barry Porsche was there uh, with his son and uh, Wolfgang and um, uh, the core engineers of Porsche. And miraculously, that little car with French drivers um, drove for 24 hours. And the only things they did to the car was put oil in it and, and fuel. And half, half the 24 hours, it rained. And so kind of imagine driving around the circuit in the dark with six volt you know, wipers and headlights, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, pretty unbelievable. But they won their class at the 1100cc class, beat all the 1500cc cars. And it was a, a major significant moment for this fledgling Porsche company where it, it put their name out on the world stage. And that that was really the beginning of Porsche Motorsports. That was their first works effort uh, at any you know, any professional international race. And so then fast forward many decades, um, I, um, um, I stumbled on the car in 1993 in California at the uh, Monterey Historic Races, which are the prestigious uh, historic races in the U.S. that takes place part of the Monterey Car Weeks that, you know, there's now loads of car, car events, auctions, and of course the Pebble Beach Concord, world renowned. Uh, anyway, I just stumbled on this little red roadster and it said 1949 Porsche. And I'd never seen it. 1949 Porsche it had the, the fender covers and it was bright red. And it was an uh, engineer named Chuck Forge from Palo Alto, California, who had purchased the car in 1957. And he had rebuilt it, restored it for the 1982 Monterey Historics, because that was the first year they featured Porsche, and he raced that car every Monterey Historics 
from 82 through 2009. And so um, anyway, I just, you know, it was kind of, my jaw kind of dropped when I saw that car and we struck up a conversation. And then every year that I would go back to that event, I would always stop by and say hi to him. And um, 2009, he was in his late 70s. Um, he had owned that car since 1957. Uh, and uh, I wanted to, knowing he was getting older, I wanted to ask him, you know, plant the seed that if he was ever interested in selling that car, that if he would contact me. But I just, I'm not, I'm kind of not that guy. And so I didn't say anything. It was in my mind. And then three weeks later, he tragically passed away of a heart attack. Oh. And um, he was a, a bachelor all his life. He had a handful of race cars. Uh, and he had just in his will set it up that everything would be sold and the proceeds would go to two charities. And so, you know, I, with the help of Rod Emery, I think a lot of people know Rod Emery is Emery Motorsports, who restored the car for me over many years, um, help of Rod and another gentleman named Dirk Lair, we've all been friends for many years. Uh, we worked together to pursue the car, and it took about nine nine months uh, before the estate got things aligned. And but um, I was able to uh, prevail with a purchase. I understand there were, in the end, there were two final bidders: a German party and myself. And the uh, the sale was decided based on the the two guys who were helping sell the car were Chuck's, some of his best friends, and they decided that Chuck would have preferred to see, to have the car stay in the U.S. and stay on the West Coast where I live. And so I was lucky to acquire this little red roadster. Amazing. That's Amazing. a long, long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's a, it's, a, it's a great outcome now. Uh, I've got a few yeah. questions. I'm a 356 owner, and, you know, I'm a bit of a tragic for the model. Um, Ajmal's got a 912, so he's got the, you know, the new version of what the 356 would have become, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm quite Both curious. Both cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm quite curious about uh, Gamun cars. I, You know, it's one of those halo cars if you're a 356 enthusiast, obviously. Do they have a steel chassis with an aluminium body? Uh, the Gamun cars have a steel chassis. They have steel doors. And steel bumpers, oh, yeah. and every, and then everything else on the body is aluminum. Got it. Great. Yep. Okay. I always wondered, you know, just uh, even though I've read about the cars and have some insight into history, I was just quite curious. So someone cut the roof off it at some point who th and thought that was a good idea, mm -hmm. clearly, to make it faster, as lighter, as a roadster. Not that I imagine an aluminium roof on the Gamund car would weigh much more than probably about, you know, 40 pounds or so, I can imagine, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess 40 pounds, 40 pounds when you're got a little car and on low power. Does the car have its original engine? A uh, car does not have its original engine as a lot of the early race cars don't. Uh, it, um, uh, the car, well, yeah, it, the, the engine, engine went away sometime in the early fifties when it uh, came to the U S it probably was blown in racing and other engines sure. uh, replaced it. Uh, the car, when it came to the U.S., it uh, it raced, um, it went through Max Hoffman, who a lot of you probably have heard of. He was the exclusive importer of Porsches in the early 50s. Uh, the car came to the U.S. It was immediately in December of 1951. It went down to Vero Beach, Florida, 
competed in a race, did quite well, but came back to Max Hoffman, and then he sold it to a character named John von Neumann. And John von Neumann was uh, ended up being the first uh, distributor for Porsches on the West Coast in the U.S. He was based in Southern California. He had a company called Competition Motors, and he was a racer. And so he, he and his wife picked up the car in New York, drove it across the U.S., and he uh, spray-painted it um, red. It was a coupe. And uh, he did raced in the San Francisco uh, Golden Gate Park races in the middle of San Francisco and raced in the Pebble Beach uh, races uh, down you know, on the Monterey Peninsula as a coupe and then decided he wanted a lighter car. And he took the car to a, uh, a shop in North Hollywood, California, um, coincidentally only blocks away from where we restored the car decades later, um, to a, a gentleman named Emil Diet, uh, D-I-D-T, and he did the uh, surgery and took the top off and uh, took the dashboard out and, uh, you know, did, um, did a nice job uh, and made it, made it a lot lighter and um, put a, um, also put a, yeah, just lighter doors and, you know, just did everything to lighten it and then John Boy Neumann uh, took it back and uh, proceeded to win some races, and uh, he raced it for oh a little more than a year, and then he sold he sold it on. But um, he was he was quite a, a famous character that went on in uh, California motorsports and was quite influential and raced spiders later and Ferraris and became a Ferrari dealer in Southern California. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of lore uh, there and actually just just finished a, um, a large coffee table book kind of telling all that history from the very early Porsche history and the, the role of this car influencing Porsche's, um, the Porsche brand and the Porsche reputation, both in Europe with his success at Le Mans and Liège, Rome, Liège and the French Montlery uh, uh, speed and um, endurance trials. And then in the U.S., um, with its racing in California, it 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 lived its it's lived its whole since it went to California in late 1951. It's lived in Cal. It's been based in California ever since. But it had a with its success in racing, early racing. It also helped generate a lot of interest in the Porsche Porsche brand. And uh, of course, the Porsche California eventually became 25% at one time of Porsche's total production went it would you know would go to that market so yep, yep. that was an important market yeah. I, find, I find it fascinating even surprising to a degree I'm not sure about you Ajmal that when this car came up for sale when you were fortunate enough to acquire it Cameron that Porsche themselves didn't buy the car they, look they don't mind buying a car or two from the free market looking at the size of their museum and this would fit right into their little niche, I would have thought. Well, one one would think, but um, you know, it may have not been just simply been on their radar. And you know, at the time I purchased it, nobody had proved there was a mystery about which SL was the first uh. Lamar car. Nobody had proved it. Uh, Chuck Forge, who was the longtime owner, in his notes, I got boxes of notes and documents with the car, and he. He definitely thought it might be, but 
nobody had ever made the effort to uh, to prove it. And I think, you know, in the early days, it wasn't that important. It was just an old race car. But uh, I probably had about a 60% hunch that it was. And there was some new information uh, coming out. Uh, there was a group out of Belgium that produced a book called The Last 11, trying to uh, do- document those additional... Le- 11 Gamun cars that most of them became race cars. Um, but they didn't, they didn't have all the evidence, but um, that was a challenge with the great team, um, great group of enthusiasts and um, people with expertise. We spent um, from 2000, spent five years uh, doing the research on the car as we began a very slow restoration. And by, 2015, we felt we had all the data together, mostly through old photos and and evidence on the car as we took the paint off and began, you know, it went, it went along on the restoration. We found spots that had been welded over, um, you know, driving, you know, um, fog lights that had been there in the car at one time, but it had been patched over, uh, hood strap, leather hood strap, drill holes, been welded closed, but we with the photos we could we could overlay um, everything and so we ended up with about twelve or fourteen different points uh, physical points that we could prove we could align with, uh, with the car when it raced raced at Le Mans in June nineteen fifty one uh, and we brought that information through a good friend uh, Jeff Swart a lot of you know who Jeff Swart is he took his evidence our evidence to portion North America initially and um, they said yeah we think this is real they sent it to the Porsche Museum uh, they looked it over rubber stamped it and invited the car to uh, participate on the on the uh, stage and on the poster for the 2015 uh, Porsche Rennsport reunion which for those of listeners who don't know what the Rennsport reunion is it's a gathering every random years uh, there'll be one this late september it'll, it'll been five years since the previous one which was 2018 but i kind of call it a rave a rave for uh, porsche racers or race cars uh in the last uh, i think this will be the fourth it's the fourth year seven yeah i think this is the fourth year it'll be at laguna seca raceway in california but it's uh the porsche faithful come from all over the world and uh uh, it has the best of race, racing, Porsche racing, and car shows, and um, it's just something that can't be missed. I'll, I'll be there racing three cars three myself. Cars. I think this is my my fifth fifth round sport reunion, so I'm I'm hooked. That sounds like it. I'll, I'll and, actually be attending, and, Cameron. Oh, you will. Oh, good. I look forward to uh, meeting you. I'll be camped out in the track at the track in my transporter. Um, but anyway, the car um, at the Rens 2015 Rensport reunion it was then placed on a poster with the 1970 Le Mans win- winning 917 and the Porsche 919 that had won Le Mans that year. Uh, and then when the event happened, they had a stage and those three cars were all placed together. The only problem was the car, our restoration wasn't complete. We were about a year, a year away. And we said, uh, when they invited us, we said, yes, we'd love to be there, but there's a problem. The car has no engine or transmission, no brakes, no, no driver's seat, 
but uh, and it's in bare aluminum, and but it's on wheels, and and so we said, um, you know, we made a recommendation. We'll put a ghost number forty six on the side and display it that way. And for some reason, they they bought that idea, which even today amazes me. And so the car was there in bare aluminum, which is really a nice nice look. And Rod, kudos to Rod Emery. Emory Motorsports and his team, the amount of work they put in getting the car ready just for that that event. And uh, we have a video, we have a 17-minute uh, um, video we did that documents the car arriving at Laguna Seca in uh, late September of 2015. And then the, the whole following year up to Pebble Beach, the final restoration of the car when we brought it to Pebble Beach. Um, and I can, I can send that to you if you want oh, to circulate it, that to sure. your li li listeners. Um, and um, so that, that was a huge, huge milestone for the car. Um, and then of course, what I'm doing this summer is, is, is really a whole nother level where the car did get an invitation by the um, uh, ACO for the car to be displayed with the winners of Le Mans in the museum and um, uh, Le Mans Classic. It will be with Porsche France as part of a Porsche exclusive promotion uh, where they're unveiling a limited edition car, which I'm not supposed to talk about, but it has some design attributes from the number 46 SL. And um, it'll also be at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. We got a, a personal invitation from Lord March himself. So we have to have to be there. Uh, so it's, First time this the car has been back to Europe in seventy two years since it left in uh, uh, you know in uh, November of nineteen fifty one. So uh, it's this is a, a pretty pretty sweet time to bring this car back over. It sounds like it would be. So for me, I mean, so for me, I, I mean, the first thing I wrote down was when when did you when did it become common knowledge that this is the car? Because obviously, when you first took ownership of it. You did anybody else have an idea that this was the car, or was it a case of everyone because of the timings had an idea that it might be because of the the year, because of how it got here, or was it just a case of you researched it and you uncovered it? It uh, it's just uh, kind of a combination of all of that. There was you know uh, there certainly was uh, speculation as to which were the which one was the first Le Mans car. And there were about three cars that were considered candidates. Um, but, you know, um, having an idea that something was what it was versus actually proving it with data and facts are two different things. And, you know, the, um, the latter takes a lot of hard work and it takes a community. You can't, you can't do it in isolation. You need, because there's a lot of people that have a lot of, connections and a lot of knowledge. And, you know, there were oh, 12 to 15 uh, Porsche, what I consider Porsche experts that were part of our tribe, if you will. These are people that weren't getting paid for their efforts, but signed on just out of pure passion and enthusiasm and, uh, and the goal to be able to hopefully prove it. Um, but yeah, it was a, a really great experience. I could imagine the the buzz that it would have created even just in that community, just trying to think there's a possibility that this might be it and trying to trying to prove that it is. Um when you when you said that you it was um 
in its aluminium state when it just, you know, Rod Emery just put that number on the side and when it went on display in 2015, when the rest of the restoration, was it all from really old grainy photos that you restored it or was there just evidence of its previous state as you as you peeled away the layers? It was, um, again, all, all of the above. Uh, you know, there was a lot of discovery as we peeled the layers. Um, you know, there was, um, which we talk about it in our new book, there was a, uh, a discovery of a shadow chassis number underneath the chassis 063. And um, we went, okay, what is this? It had the numbers 57, very faint. Uh, and 57 was one of the four cars that was prepared. Uh, number 55, number 54, and 063 were the others. My car is 063. And so then that opened a whole uh, rabbit hole. We had to go down to determine what happened and prove prove what happened. And um, through um, a very serendipitous event, some uh, a photo book that uh, Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, and Porsche collector extraordinaire um, uh, sent to Rod Emery uh, photos as, and uh, those were key photos of the cars that had been crashed prior to Le Mans. And um, we were able to then uh, geek out and, you know, with magnifying glasses, we were able to determine that um, the original 063 was destroyed and what Porsche did, which was not uncommon, they admit it. Uh, in those days, they did, did some of that with Porsche Spiders. It was more difficult to, um, it was easier to uh, overstamp a chassis number. Uh, in this case, taking um, chassis 057, bringing it forward and moving all the race gear to that car and sanding down um uh, the five seven and overstamping it with 063 rather than trying to change the carnet to go to France because carnet is a passport for a car. For those of you who don't know what they are, uh, for moving cars from country to country and and to move German cars to France in 1951 was was more than difficult and um, it was very obvious that uh, out of it was only weeks. Weeks before the event, it was very obvious out of expediency they uh, they did that overstamp uh, and proceeded forward. So, and that's that's all we have that that all documented in our our book as well. But you know, it was they were a young company; they're trying to survive and make decisions on the fly, and uh, that's how they did things. And you know, so yeah, there were plenty of challenges along the way, certainly. But uh, you know, we had a great great determination, great spirit of determination going on. Cameron. What's the name of the book? Yeah, what is the name of the book? Uh, this, this book is, uh, uh, and I can, I'll send you, send you guys the, uh, the link. It's published by Dalton Watson Publishing, and it's called 46, The Birth of Porsche Motorsports. So 46, The Birth of Porsche Motorsports. And it's a three, the book has taken three years to put together. It has eight, eight different authors of different chapters. We brought in different experts on the different eras uh, that the car represents. And 
it's uh, available in Europe and literally all over the world. But Dalton Dalton Watson Publishing, who is an automotive publisher, is handling all all of that uh, with the book. Um, uh, we also have an illustrated book. So this the coffee table book came out in this past February, and then a year ago we came out with a uh, illustrated book that kind of tells that story, but much more encapsulated um, through uh, Carpe Viem. Uh, Dwight Knowlton in Phoenix, Arizona. He did all the illustrations, and that's his his company, uh, Carpe Viam, V-I-A-M, um, is dot com is where you'll you'll find that one. I'll put, um, I'll put, I'll put we'll, and, we'll put the links in the pod in the bottom of the podcast and the notes of the podcast for the listeners anyway. Um, Cameron, so thank you for that. Tell me, um, what's the car drive like? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's. Um, you know, I was I was very blessed to do two laps uh, on the Lamar track on Saturday uh, midday before the race. Great, a bunch of Lamar winners, which took my breath away. Uh, it's on probably forty year old tires, oh, like yeah, rocks. Okay. <laughs> uh, we Rod Emery put new tubes in them before we brought it over. They're not going to, the, you know, the, the tires aren't going to fall apart. But uh, I was squealing around the corners. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it drives like a, like a early Volkswagen in a lot of ways, but I mean, it's better, a little bit, it's better handling. Um, and it's, you know, it has all of 42 horsepower. So, you know, there is not a lot of, you need, you need to take your time to uh, get up to speed, but I had it up to, um, uh, about a hundred in kilometers, about 118, 115 kilometers per hour, which it's about 75 miles per yeah, hour. Right. Uh, and that was on a little, the little downhill, uh, to my benefit, but, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it's just, it represents that area. They were very, very simple cars and, uh, um, you know, they, they, they were, they handled, they were loose, they were loose. You know, you got, you got the rear end out a little bit and, uh, um, that's the fun of driving those cars. Great. Oh, look, as a, as a, I've been fortunate enough to drive a lot of modern Porsches as well as older ones. In fact, I've uh, driven a not the oldest one I've driven is a fifty one coupe. So I've driven oh, I've driven an yeah. old car, you know, uh, an old split windshield. Yeah. yeah, and um, the I'm always amazed that in the new cars, even when you drive the old cars, you still feel some of that old car in them. Like you know, in those old cars, mm-hmm. this is a Porsche and this is. You know, what portion becomes is this, you know, like it always blows my mind that that theme runs through it consistently. Whereas a lot of other brands, the sensation of driving an old version versus a new version, there's just no link between them. But there's just something when, you know, you're driving an, an old air-cooled Porsche and you drive a modern Porsche, there's just something about them that's still that lineage is known just from steering it or just from accelerating or just the sound or the vibration through the car or something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. The D- the DNA transfers. Um, I had the pleasure to spend a week with Tony Hatter, who uh, is of course the designer of the successful GT one, 1996 or 1998 uh, Le Mans effort by Porsche and also the 993 designer. And, um, it was great as he joined us for the uh, Road to Le Mans uh, journey, which we towed the car 
on a trailer from um, Zuffenhausen from the museum uh, to the Teloche garage in Le Mans, uh, where Porsche first used that, rented that garage as their, their base. But Tony came along with our little group and then he and I drove back to Zuffenhausen together. But, you know, his, his take on that is, you know, as a designer, he was very true to carrying that DNA forward every time to the next next model and to a you know to a very uh, uh, extremely committed degree and I think it was the you know the designers the leadership at Porsche at those different eras that saw the importance of that and and brought it brought it through and I think it's a good point I I happen to own a uh, 1964 911 uh, number one two seven which is the simplest most pure form of 911. Uh, mine's unrestored too. It's it's oh, mechanically wow. restored, and it um, you know I just love the handling of that car, and you totally feel you know the ancestors in that car of the three five six is going back. It's a it's clearly a lineage. You know, that's was a part of the things we we love about Porsche. Okay, so you've you've told us you have got this sixty four nine eleven. Let's roll them out. What else is in the garage? Oh boy! <laughs> uh, there's been uh, uh, there's been a couple 908 Porsches. I have to admit. Oh, is that really? Uh, and I, wow. 9083 that I uh, former um, Vic Alford um, Targa Florio car that I raced for ten years. I sold it last summer because I'm now 72 and I just didn't want to tempt myself anymore. It's not the safest car in the world. I still own a 908K, the original version, 1968, the short tail coupe, which is the little brother of the 917. 917 directly evolved out of that car. Mm -hmm. Uh, Four more cylinders and a little bit uh, bigger chassis. But, um, and um, I know I I have two two oddball Porsche specials that that in the US they're, uh, they're, uh, Cooper chassis, you know, the British Cooper cars. They call them Poopers, uh, not, don't they? Poopers, yeah. It's a, it's a Porsche-powered Cooper. Yep. Uh, one of them had the one that I have that I mostly raced as a homemade body. It was pounded out by an, an Irishman that I met years later in 1953, and I still race that, and and uh, it's never – I've never – I've raced it. This will be my 23rd season. Uh, the car, to my knowledge, has never been beat by a – Porsche Spider. Um, wow. And um, going clear back to the early 50s or mid 50s when the Spiders came to the US. Um, they're light, uh, nimble. I think there's about four of them in the world. Uh, three are very similar. And then the other one, uh, I have two of them, but uh, one of them that I'm, I race is different than the other three. But uh, they're, they're sort of the off in the corner of oddball weirdness of the Porsche world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're really they're they're quick, nimble little cars with skinny tires. What type of um, engines in that? I have um let's see, three of them well two sorry, two of them that exist to have four cam oh, okay. uh four cam yep. and and gearboxes that go with those four cams. The other two have three five six uh race engines with sure. um uh with Volkswagen Gearbox case with heel and gears inside. Okay. So, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got a RSR 911 RSR that I race. Uh, I have a 74 911 RS 3 liter that I keep 
in England that I'll be racing at Le Mans Classic yeah, in lovely. a couple of weeks. Um, let's see. I've got, I've got, um, uh, I've got a 1989 964-based 911 that uh, was built into a safari off-road racer for racing in Le Mans. And so I've raced, I raced three, three um, uh, Nora Baja 1000 races in Mexico with that. And in the second year, uh, my co-driver and I won our class, which was the first okay. time at ba Baja production-based Porsche ever won a class. Uh, I finished um, this last year, November, December, a 40-day rally uh, from uh, Lima, Peru to Ushuaia, um, Argentina, uh, 11,800 kilometers through the Andes Mountains, 50% <laughs> of that off-road, off-pavement uh, with a group of another, it's all Porsches, small group. And uh, it's, a, you know, it's just a little animal that loves it loves to get wet, cross rivers, climb mountains, go through sand dunes, go through the mud. Uh, my daughter was my co-driver on that 40-day uh, expedition, and she was next to me for 40 days in that 911 cockpit and either sharing a tent or a hotel room. And she declared on the as a, we were nearing the finish that she would then have her own hotel room after we finished. She was sort of <laughs> ready to have a little break from the, the, the old man, but we're, we've, we've rallied in Europe together. Uh, she's a good, really good navigator and a, and a good driver too, but good to hear. yeah, it doesn't, doesn't get any better to have Porsche adventures with your, your adult kids. Sounds like it. So the, um, I've totally lost track. I've totally lost track of how many cars, how many cars that was. <laughs> Let's say, well, yeah, I've owned a 9046. Uh, I don't have that anymore. Uh, former, uh, the 1965 version where they put the 906 engines in yep, them. Yep. And six six of those, I, I raced that at Lamar Classic uh, three times and in the U.S. Um, uh, gosh, um, yeah, I think that's um, that's pretty much the current uh, current state of affairs. What do you daily oh, drive yeah, with I, a garage well, like I, that? I, I, yeah, I also have a uh, 68 911S race car that I just acquired that I'll race. Uh, it's a, it was a car raced by Bruce Jennings, who is a well-known American racer. Um, he had it for 30 years, but I just recently acquired that, and I'll be racing that at Run Sport and, and Monterey. So, um, yeah, that's what, the other, what, other one. So if that's going to Ren Sport, you said you're going to take three cars. What, are, what other two cars are going to Ren Sport? Yeah, the 1953 Pooper all yep. race, uh, the uh, um, the 911 RSR, and then this 1968 911S. It kind of replaced the 9083. Uh, as I'm getting on in years, I want to keep racing, and I think the 911S uh, is a 2.4 liter because it was a Trans Am in Daytona, has Daytona 24 sure. hours. And, Trans Am history, but it's a good good car for an elderly driver. I figure going as I proceed into my seventies, good race car. Yeah. Look, well, it sounds like you've got a big collection of keys. It'll be hard to decide which ones to pull out of the cupboard. I have a I have a Porsche problem basically. Evidently, according to my wife. But, yeah, <laughs> but she's very very supportive, fortunately. And, yeah. Good to hear. It sounds like you're. Uh, Enjoying the the time you're spending doing this sounds like a uh, not a bad way to spend your seventies. I've got to be as a uh, 
as a listener myself to your story, all I'm thinking right now is how can I aspire to this sort of outcome? How like can you? Well, I think it's, <laughs> it, it's, got, it's got to start with a dream. And uh, I didn't start racing Porsches until my early 40s. Sure. And, you know, I really, uh, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21. I've never, never worked for anybody. I have, I've just started my businesses from scratch and oftentimes with no no capital, but an idea, but it took, you know, it took me years to have, have some successes where I could then start, you know, purchasing Porsches in my dreams and then, and then get racing. And so I'm, I'm much more freed up in terms of responsibilities at this stage of life. So, you know, one of my, one of my priorities is to, uh, you know, optimize the driving opportunities while I can. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Look, it's, um, I know we're almost out of time with your, uh, next, um, appointment, so um, I'd just like to... <laughs> yeah. Case in point. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd look, I'd look, really appreciate your time and the story's been amazing. If uh, have you got any, any more questions, Ajmal, that you'd like to... Oh, it's just, I'm, I'm blown away just by the history, by the, by the detail, just and, and discovering that, you know, the legendary 356SL. It's, I'm, I'm speechless. The, um, <laughs> well, the, yeah. I do have one last question for you, Cameron. The song Please. we started the show on, Can't Always Get What You Want. I don't know, it sounds pretty ironic after you just telling us everything you've uh, been getting, everything you've been experiencing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's the, the chorus, you know, the chorus that, that I really appreciate, um, which, um, second here, um, you know, which is you can't always get what you want, um, but you, you try some time. If you try some time, you'll find uh, you might get what you need. And so it's, you know, you dream, and but with those dreams, you've got to make an effort. And you also have to be grateful for what does come your way and also not be greedy and, you know, believe you have to have everything. And so I just, I feel extremely lucky in my life to uh, be able to um, exercise these dreams and, and, uh, hopefully, you know, for a few more years, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's about perseverance and hard work and, and dreaming at the same time. And, you know, so, and things can, things can align that way. So, yeah, and I was, you know, I, and, and that song, I was a teenager, you know, when it came out in 68 or 69, I was in a rock and roll band. We used to play it. And, uh, I think over the years I've reflected on the lyrics as I've matured and, and learn more about life. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a balance. Great to hear. Look, re again, really appreciate your time and uh, loved having you on. Love the story. I'll be honest with you, it sounds like you got some more stories for us in the future and we might be tapping you on the shoulder. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd love to hear how the uh, rest of the racing season this year goes with Classic Le Mans Festival Speed, and I'd love to catch up and uh, meet face-to-face -face when I come over for Rensport Reunion. Let's definitely hook up. Uh, I'll be there camped out and track. And yes. thank, thanks for what you guys do in spreading the stories and, uh, uh, you know, the enthusiasm around this great mark. I mean, and that's one thing I didn't say. It's the community. There's such an incredible community in this Porsche community of generosity. And I've got some of my best best friends have come out, have come through this over, over the many decades. So, yeah, keep up your great work. Thank you. Incredible. And I might see you in England. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Festival of Speed, maybe.
Yep. Cause I, I'm, I'm based in England. I live in England. Mark's in Australia. Right. Okay. Are you, are you coming? Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm not very good. As Mark will tell you, I'm not very good at getting to festivals and events. Uh, but I'm yeah, trying yeah. to do the big I one. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, uh, let's let's all, let's all stand stand touch. And I'll I'll forward you some information. Fantastic. And um, we'll put the links below to the books about the um, number forty six in the podcast. Um, look, if if people are interested oh, yeah, in the journey of the car, can we talk about your Instagram handle for the car? Cameron? Yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Tell us. Yes. What, what is it? Uh, yeah, I'll um, I'll forward you the uh, the the link. I don't know if I gave that to you, but yeah, it's it's called Road. Uh, the you know the link is forty six SL Road to Lama, and the idea of Road to Lama is this car's return return to Lama after seventy two years, and it's kind of telling the stories along the way. Of the process of bringing it, bringing it over here, and uh, I've been joking that I feel like I'm a manager of a rock and roll band or a rock star, <laughs> where I, I've booked two months of of gigs and I have to manage logistics and press and everything else um, uh, around it. Uh, but um, uh, the road to Lamar, you know, so it's it's metaphor for the whole journey coming back but specifically it's about this retracing the route from the original route because the museum uh in our research they provided a a, a document a handwritten document by the their first race manager who wrote out the schedule for they were leaving at 9 a.m on a certain day and they were going to pass through such and such a town such and such towns in Germany, France, spend the night at a certain town and then continue through other towns till they arrived at Teloche. And so um, with the editor of the uh, uh, the coffee table book, um, he, we worked on that and he found an old 1950 map. And so we guessed what would be the, the road, the roads that they would follow going through those towns. And so we, we uh, then... Uh, uh, left, uh, this was two weeks ago. We left, uh, Zuffenhausen, uh, and a lot of, they took a lot of photos. We took a, did a photo shoot in front of works one. And then, uh, we contracted with a, uh, a Dutch guy with a single trailer that we wrapped with our road to Lama design. And there were five of five of us, including Tony Hatter, who decided he wanted to come. Uh, and we, you know, we took the slow roads, uh, pulling a trailer, and we stopped along the way and unloaded the car numerous times and took photos. And then Porsche France sent a photographer down to Fontainebleau, which is a beautiful town just directly south of Paris. And we did some shots in front of the, the chateau there. And then we went off to a little adjacent village with cobblestone streets and drove the car through the village and took pictures of it. Wow, jet going by, um, and uh, then we landed at the Telleche garage and greeted the current owners with a photo plaque, come in with a picture photo of the car, both the cars in the shop in 1951, and, and took a bunch of pictures. And you know, we're just a bunch of romantics, but uh, we we documented that. So that's that's all on the Instagram 
feed. It's all documented. And so you can draw from whatever that you, you wish to draw from. But there's photos in my comments as we go. Fantastic. So And it will continue. It will continue right right through uh, festival speed. So sounds, sounds great. Yeah. The uh, yeah. So thank Slide. you for sharing that with us and this oh, this amazing story. It's just blown my mind. The um, any listeners out there um, got any comments or any any questions? I'm sure if you um, reach out to Cam through that Instagram handle, he'll uh, he's been very generous with his uh, comments to me on Instagram. So please feel free to um, reach out to him, myself, and Ajmal. Let's hear, let's hear, uh, get some feedback on this great story. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time today. Have a great time driving around the Nordschleifer after this, Cameron. Yeah, the track is calling. Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank for your you. Time.